Welcome to the Voice of Family Business on Capitol Hill. It's great to have you with us. With each podcast from Family Enterprise USA, we bring you the latest news, expert opinions, and insights affecting the country's largest employer, the American family business. If you like this series, please remember to subscribe and sign up for the alerts as future shows are posted wherever you download your podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Silker Henderson Properties, the leading medical office provider in Silicon Valley. In this episode, we bring you a lively and in-depth discussion with our hosts, Pat Soldano and Bill Rock, CEO of MLR Holdings, which owns information and media businesses, including Family Business Magazine. For over 30 years, family business leaders and owners have relied on Family Business Magazine to improve their family dynamics and their businesses. They will address the many current issues affecting multi-generational family businesses and family offices across the country. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Pat Soldano, president of Family Enterprise USA and Policy and Taxation Group. If you don't know who we are, we advocate for multi-generational family businesses and their lifetimes of savings, successful individuals and family offices from around the country, family businesses of all sizes and all industries. Today, we're here with Bill Rock, who is the CEO of MLR Holdings, which owns information and media businesses, including Family Business Magazine. For over 30 years, family business leaders and owners have relied on Family Business Magazine to improve their family dynamics and their business. Bill, it's good to have you with us here today. It's good to be here, Pat. Thank you. So let's dive right in. Bill, your media company has a wide view of family business landscape. And when you look at this segment of our economy, it is the largest employer in the country, private family businesses. How do you assess its health? Yeah, so we work with and serve really multi-generational family businesses. So not sole proprietorships and not really first-generation family businesses that just have multiple siblings. So throughout this conversation, when I'm speaking about family businesses, these are the ones I'm more familiar with. You know, overall, you know, compared to the past, I think the health of family businesses is very strong. I mean, sure, there are differences uh, by industry. Some industries have headwinds right now, some have tailwinds. And as you know, Pat, um, very few family businesses even make it to that third generation. It's incredibly tough to get to the third generation and beyond. But overall, I think family businesses are doing very well. And I think the reason for that is family businesses' long-term outlook enables them to better balance purpose with profit, support multiple stakeholders, and develop values-driven cultures. And this long-term outlook leads to their success. Well, so as a follow-up to that, can you maybe talk a little bit about trends in family businesses in the United States and and what's changed in this past decade? I mean, you did this not too long ago at a Family Business Magazine event, so maybe you can uh, talk about that, the trends in family business. Sure, and I think in the past really decade or two, there there are two major trends. Uh, The first is the professionalization of family businesses as an industry. The second is really the rise of family offices. So, and when I talk about professionalization, I'm really talking about the body of knowledge on things that are unique to family businesses. I think many family businesses, they had leaders and owners that can now learn a great deal from each other in terms of succession planning, in terms of governance, in terms of engaging their shareholders and educating the next generation. And many more family businesses now have a much more formal and thoughtful process and policies around these areas. There really is a body of knowledge that just didn't exist 20 years ago. Looking back, certain family businesses then were successful, but their solutions weren't shared. And the governance of many family businesses has evolved. 
And so is the governance of the families themselves through things like family councils and charitable councils. We've also seen a rise of really community of advisors now, advisors with a lot of family business experience that can help family businesses understand and execute on these best practices. And this is a major change over the past couple of years. I think the second major change is really the rise of family offices. So the term family office, it's used to describe a lot of different things. One of the things it is used to describe right now is really the evolution of what I would see as kind of traditional wealth management. And that's a trend in and of itself. I think um, the services wealth managers provide are much broader now than they were 10, 15 years ago. But when I'm talking about family offices, I'm really talking about an investment company that's owned by the family and they receive investment, administrative, and concierge services from that entity. And most of these structures are single family offices or for just a small number of families. And the family's capital constitutes what's really all of the investment assets of the entity. And as an asset class, this has been, we've seen a huge uptick in the number of family offices over the past decade. And they compete and they win against traditional private equity firms. Well, you just talked about the events that you do as an organization, and they're amazing events. I've been to them. They are so important for the networking that you just discussed. I totally agree with you. Family businesses and family offices really get their best value from connecting and exchanging information and ideas with each other. So when you hold these family business events around the country and you speak with family businesses, what do you what do they ask you most about? Yeah, so we hold five large conferences a year for family business owners and leaders. We have two transitions conferences for family business leaders, a legacy conference for family offices, a transformation of women conference for women family business leaders, and a next gen conference. And for each one of those events, we get slightly different questions based on the subject matter. But overall, I think you can bucket the questions really into three areas engagement, succession, and governance. So almost you know, using the acronym, it's a new and different ESG than the one when we hear about in our, in our directors and boards magazine a lot. On the governance side, we get questions such as, how should we govern the business? Sorry. Should we have a board? Can you help us and help our shareholders better understand the different role that the board has versus management versus shareholders? How should one build a board? Once they have a board, they typically will, will, will ask questions around best practices in terms of director recruitment and onboarding and director compensation, how to set a board agenda, really best practices to get the most value out of that board. And many family businesses, once they have a board, they'll also look at ways to govern the family, and that can be through family councils or shareholder councils. So we get asked a lot, of, a lot about those. The second major area we get asked about is, is succession planning. And I think, Pat, as you know, the most important job of any board, whether it's public or private, is hiring and incenting the CEO. Succession planning is key for all boards, and obviously it's an important part of governance, which I mentioned before. But in family businesses, it, it can be much more complicated and emotional. So we get asked a lot about how and when to create succession plans. And the how is a little more involved. The, the when is an easy one to answer, right? The when is now. When is yesterday? You know, if, if, you, if your company doesn't have a succession plan, you, you need to create one immediately. And then finally, we get asked a lot about engagement. How can we engage our shareholders who are our family members, obviously? How can we teach them about the distinct roles of the board, the management, and shareholders, and which hat to wear when? Because many of these family members uh, are in multiple roles, so they have to better understand whether they're wearing their shareholder hat, 
board member hat or, or management hat. And we get asked a fair amount about things like how to keep the family together and how to educate the next generation about the company and the family's values. Well, I, I just can't emphasize enough to our listeners how important these conferences that you just outlined are to family business owners. Again, that networking is so important. And you do a fantastic job of not only putting on the events, but allowing that networking to happen, even to the point of making sure that people um, that are sitting at one table for maybe one topic aren't sitting at the same table with the same people from session to session, that they get placed at different tables. So they you almost force them to do networking, which is so valuable. So I really encourage people to family business owners and family offices to attend those events. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Uh, I want to talk about the article that you most recently wrote um, that I thought was pretty fascinating called Maintaining Trust, because trust is so important uh, with all family business owners and family offices. You talked about, funny enough, the HBO succession family and how it's unlike any you've worked with. And I totally agree with that. It's unlike any I've ever worked with either. Uh, you've also discussed the annual Edelman Trust Barometer, which measures the latest influence of trust across society. And it concluded that business is the only trusted institution far outpacing government, NGOs, and media, none of which were thought to be trusted. But the only reason that business rated so highly was the great regard for family businesses, which was higher by 12 and nine points than public and non family owned private businesses, respectively. So can you expand on this this article and the topic, which I think is so important? Sure. And, and first off, it's not just the Roy family in succession. I think the way many family businesses are portrayed in TV and movies, they're, they're not like what you and I see in real life. And most entertainment portrays them as either very small mom and pop shops or very dysfunctional, very unprofessional, although the way the Roy family is um, portrayed on succession. Right. The Roy family is composed of morally bankrupt people, people who like to fight with each other all the time, people who cannot be trusted. And this makes for great TV. I, I love watching Succession. It was, it was one of my favorite shows. The emotion and the betrayals really make for great entertainment. But as you mentioned, most family businesses aren't like this. And I was actually encouraged to see that most of America recognizes that. So around the same time that Succession season four started earlier this year, Edelman, a leading global communications firm, published its annual trust barometer. And they're the gold standard in measuring trust. And they've been doing this for more than 20 years, really studying the influence of trust across society. And the 2023 report found that business is the only trusted institution, the only one. And trust in business, as you mentioned, far outpaces trust in government, in NGOs, in media. None of those are thought to be trusted right now. We could spend a whole other podcast talking about the problems in our society if no one trusts our institutions. It's a major issue and one that's going to really impact how things play out over the next 30 years, if not more. But it's another topic and one we, we could devote a lot of time to. But this specific report found that business is the only trusted institution in the category of my CEO is one of the most trusted individuals. When you dive into it a little bit more, as a 2023 version makes clear, a reason business as a whole rated this highly is really the great regard for family businesses. Their trust factor, as you mentioned, was 12 and 9 percentage points higher than public companies and non-family-owned private companies. And simply, family businesses are one of the most trusted institutions. 
So as we've written in Family Business Magazine and also discussed at some of those conferences you mentioned, this finding isn't surprising. I think many family businesses focus on creating long-term value, and that enables them to better balance purpose of profit, support multiple stakeholders, and develop values-driven cultures. And trust is so important because it leads to tangible benefits, or real benefits. Many customers and many suppliers prefer to buy from and work with trusted businesses. And that's one of the reasons you'll see a lot of family businesses do promote the family connection in their brand. And likewise, many people choose to work for family businesses because of their long-term focus and community commitment. That often makes them take better care of their employees. Now, there's a flip side to this coin, of course, right? With this trust comes higher expectations and greater responsibility. Right? It can take years and even decades to earn this trust and confidence from your employees, from your customers, from your suppliers, from your community. But the trust can quickly fade, right? I mean, you, you dig through the Edelman report, you'll see kind of a steep drop in trust in every other institution. So I think ensuring that family values perpetuate is crucial for the long-term success of the family business. And to do so, many thoughtful families embrace a real intentional process and approach to ownership structures. They set long, a long-term vision and really try to ensure alignment with this vision. They educate the next generation on the family's values, and they integrate community service into their values. And I think given the very depressing fact that very few institutions have garnered our trust, maintaining this trust level in family businesses is more important now than ever. Yeah, I would totally agree with you. Um, trust is the most important thing in family businesses and family offices um, not only for the family members themselves, but for the, as you mentioned, the people that work for them. So talking about succession, and you mentioned earlier that uh, succession planning and family councils are two of the top issues that you hear from family businesses and, and that they want to hear about from the consultants and others. Um, your company is focused on transitioning family businesses to the next generation, which which is a big challenge. What is the greatest concern that you see during this transitional phase of a family business that can be from first to second generation, second to third generation, third to fourth generation? Yeah, I think the greatest concern is not being intentional and thoughtful about succession planning years ago, right? Years before a transition. So I've seen a number of family businesses where the CEO stayed on too long, where there was no real succession plan in place. And it's tough, right? I mean, you're basically saying to your dad or your mom or aunt or uncle, they need to step away. It's, it's a tough conversation to have with anyone, let alone a family member. And it can be tougher to implement, too. Right? If the former CEO is still walking the halls or walking the factory floor, it's, it's tough to empower the new CEO when that's happening. I mean, think about public companies, right? Many companies, many public companies will have the former CEO stay on as a director during a transition. And he or she may be executive or non-executive chair. But it's generally for a finite term, right? It's generally for 12 to 18 months you see in public companies, right? Many CEOs understandably would bristle if their predecessors looking over their shoulder. But in many family businesses, this timeline is not an option, right? The outgoing CEO may continue to be a large shareholder. He or she may sit on the board for years. So getting this right is key for family businesses to succeed in the long term. And it takes, we keep going back to trust, it takes a lot of trust between the current and former CEO um, and a thoughtful plan in place and following that plan. Well, so I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about the charitable giving that family businesses do. 
in our research at Family Enterprise USA, we have determined that 82% of family businesses give locally to their charitable organizations or a local charity of a national organization. And that percent has actually gone up throughout the years that we've been doing our annual survey. Um, and, and, and we think that's very, very important for people to understand, voters to understand, members of Congress to understand, because if a family business has to be sold for whatever reason, to pay the estate tax or some other economic reason, that charitable giving goes away. So it's not just the family losing their livelihood and the employees losing their livelihood, that community loses all their all that giving from the family. And so my question is really around, do you see this kind of giving changing in any manner? Do you see the the amount the, the amounts that the percents going up or down or the giving changing over time? Yeah, I wasn't aware of that specific stat, but it aligns broadly with what we see. I mean, in two areas. The first is I think, as you point out, many family businesses take care of their community. Right? I think that's one of the reasons they're they're more trusted than other institutions. The communities as a whole are seen as stakeholders of the business. And I, I don't see that changing. I think family business focus on the long term, and you need to take care of your communities if you're focused on the long term. Then you look at the individual level. I think many families are, are owning family businesses. Philanthropy is a big part of their values. I mean, one of the things we get asked a lot about is how to instill these values, including charitable giving, into the next generation. I've seen many families be very thoughtful about this, including bringing their children into discussions about giving very early on, showing them how to identify causes and issues that are important to them and how to work with nonprofits uh, directly if they, if they wish to. And it's more than just giving money. I think you also see a lot of family business owners are also giving their time and their expertise. I don't see that changing. I think that's really ingrained in a lot of family businesses and a lot of family business owners and leaders' DNA. Well, that's good to hear. I, and I would agree with you. It is in their DNA. So I'm going to talk about the Congressional Family Business Caucus that you're aware of that Family Enterprise USA helped Congress to actually form. Um, and I know it is a bipartisan caucus. It is an educational caucus. That's very, very important because the mission of the caucus is to do just that, educate members of Congress as well as voters around family businesses, what they are, what they aren't, what they do all the things that we've been talking about. It, we think it's a very important caucus, um, and you're, I know you're well aware of it. I know you're not a policy person. I know you're not a legislative person. But are there any maybe ideas or legislation that you think members of Congress could help family businesses with? And, and not necessarily legislation. But there are two important issues that I would want legislators to understand, and I feel sometimes they don't. And the first, as you've, as you've pointed out, this is really just the scale of family businesses and their importance to our economy, right? I think, as you know, family businesses employ a huge chunk of the private sector. But sometimes when I'm speaking with, with, with people in Congress, there's still this mindset that they're very small mom and pop shops. Um, while, of course, there are a number of small family businesses, there are also a large number of large ones. And I, I would want our legislators to understand that. The second thing I'd want them to better understand is that really on the fundamental issue of what is a purpose of a company, I think many family businesses' attitudes, outlook, and values can provide a model for all companies, both public and private. And I think first, many family businesses have for decades balanced purpose with profit. For many of these family businesses, their sole purpose 
It's not to make as much money as quickly as possible. They take a much longer-term view and focus on creating long-term value. And second, rather than focusing solely on shareholders, many family businesses have also focused on supporting other stakeholders, including their employees, their customers, and their communities. They know that to create this long-term value, they need to support these stakeholders. And finally, many family businesses have created a values-driven culture. And in many instances, these core convictions allow them to give priority to ethical standards. So the last couple of years, we've heard from politicians, academics, and really some Fortune 500 CEOs as well, will start to denigrate corporations and many public companies' short-term views. And they outline this new model to emulate. But what I think they're frequently describing is a view and purpose many family businesses have established for decades. I think it's this brand of capitalism that's really going to underpin our country and our future. Yeah, well, that's a good point. You just talked about corporations. Um, what we have learned is 80% of family businesses in this country operate as a pass-through entity. So they are an S-corp, an LLC, or an LP, you know, not a, corpor- a regular corporation. And that creates great problems for them because they're paying ordinary income tax rates of 37%, whereas corporate America gets to pay 21%. And, you know, they're concerned about that. It's they, they managed to survive even with paying that additional level of tax. And again, I know you're not a tax and economic or legislative person, but what do you think that that family businesses can do to get members of Congress to understand that there is this disparity between the rates of tax between regular corporations and 80 percent of the family business owners in this country? And I think it's working with Family Enterprise USA, and that's not a a plug I would uh, just give out randomly. I think you all do a great job, and I think you're making this front and center. And I think you've had a lot of success with with the caucus and and appreciate all all the work you and your organization have been doing. Well, we appreciate that. Um, That's very, very helpful. We would agree with you. Um, and, And I would add to that, they can talk to their member of Congress. It's so important that they they know their member of Congress. They invite their member of Congress to their plant or their facility or their office so they can meet with voters and they can see what they do. So I think that's really important because we've learned that they have no clue what family businesses do, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah, m- many of them don't. I had the opportunity when I was with you down in D.C. You brought a number of, of family business uh, leaders and owners to meet with with um, people in Congress. And one, I was struck by how they viewed family businesses, which they didn't view them the same way. I did, probably didn't have as much experience, but I was also struck by how much they wanted to learn. Right? In many communities, the family businesses, because they give back to those communities, um, Congress and their congressmen, their congresswomen want to hear from family business leaders. And I didn't, I didn't realize that. That was something that you brought up many times, and obviously you've, you've helped facilitate many times. Um, I wasn't aware how eager they were to learn from the challenges family businesses are having. But in retrospect, it makes sense because in a lot of communities, obviously, family businesses are a major employer. They're focused on the long term and they're focused on the community. Yeah, that's an excellent point. They do want to hear. Um, They are open. That's why we've had so much interest in the Congressional Family Business Caucus. So I appreciate that that comment. Um, You brought up succession planning quite a few times. I hear that a lot from family business owners. It is always the number one issue, along with some of the other issues you've already mentioned. When you see these families do their succession planning, 
or they're planning to pass their business on management or ownership to the next generation. Do you hear them talk about how estate planning plays into that succession planning? I'm sure. And I'm not a tax expert, um, but of course, it's thought about. Of course, um, they work with their advisors to think about the most efficient way to do so. You need to. Well, I can't give any specific advice. I, I don't know that side as, as well as other parts of family businesses. It, of course, is a consideration. Well, so I'm going to switch now to women in family businesses because we are seeming to become a larger factor in family business owners. And, and you have focused on that. Um, the media properties uh, that you run are keenly aware of promoting women in family business. And maybe you could talk to us a little bit more about that. How do you promote uh, family business owners to promote these women to become business leaders? Yeah, I, th- I think we, we do so um, by highlighting women leaders through our, we have an award program at Transformational Women in Family Business Awards. And we also have a conference dedicated to um, helping women family business leaders. It's called Transformational Women. Um, a lot of this is really just showcasing the large number of women already leading family businesses and giving them opportunities to learn from each other. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when many patriarchs would never even consider their daughters as a successor. And that's changed and, and, and changing, which is great. And I think a way to speed up this change, though, is just to showcase all the great women leaders that are already out there. And they can serve as models to emulate going forward. I think as many of the previous generation seeing all of these great leaders in their 40s and 50s and 60s who, who are women, it makes them better understand that, hey, of course, their daughters or, or nieces um, could and should be considered as, as, as leaders. And we're seeing a lot of great women family business leaders right now. Well, that's terrific. You've also created a new media property called FO Pro, which is, stands for Family Office Pro. It's a newsletter devoted to family offices. I just got my first copy in my inbox today. Uh, it's fascinating. And so um, the family office business, as you already talked about, has gone through an evolution. I totally believe that. I've worked in that industry myself for decades. Um, so how do you see the family office business today? You talked about it a little earlier, but maybe you could expand on that. Sure. And then we launched FO Pro a few weeks ago. We've gotten great feedback so far. And our focus is really where the family office and the family intersect. So the dynamics, the engagement, the governance issues that really cause a family office to succeed or fail. And you're also starting to see family offices mature enough where many of them are multi-generational themselves. So they have all the same interesting challenges traditional family businesses have. I've mentioned earlier, uh, family offices, they're a huge force right now. According to Camden Wealth, I think there are six to 7,000 of them. Many companies we're seeing prefer to be owned by family offices than traditional private equity too. Right? I mean, family offices take a much more long-term view. They're much more patient investors. And that appeals to a lot of companies when they're looking for a financial sponsor. You're also seeing family offices starting to attract and retain top talent on par with traditional private equity. So I think these two things, for, for them, the future is very bright. They have a lot of capital behind them. Um, many of them are very private, but are now better advertising what they do to attract potential portfolio companies. And they're competing and winning against private equity firms 
for a number of reasons, not just their capital, but also the value that they can provide as owners. And you're seeing a lot of family businesses want family offices to invest in them as well because they understand the issues that they're going through and they can provide real guidance and help and help these businesses grow and succeed. So family off the family office world today is very different than it was even five to 10 years ago. And I think it's just going to continue to grow. Well, so this is my last question, Bill. As you look at the broad picture of the economy, society, politics, are you confident of the growth of family businesses in America, or, or do you see some very real challenges ahead that may preclude growth? Sure. There, there, there are challenges, right? I mean, our nation is very divided right now. And as we discussed, trust in institutions is very low. This is an issue, right? But overall, I'm confident in America, and I'm confident in Americans. I think our nation's had challenges before, and ultimately, I think America's a net force for good in the world. I think the world's a better place with a strong America. And I think most Americans are good people and their ingenuity will allow our nation to prosper for generations. And I think this is true for America, but I think it's also true for family businesses in specific. And I think their long-term view allows them to not have to just react as a reflex to everything, right? They can do the right thing for the long-term. They're gonna face the same challenges as every business in America, every business in the world. But I think their values and outlook will allow them to succeed as they have for years. Well, Bill, once again, it's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. I know our family business listeners appreciate your insights and have learned a lot about the challenges facing America and how their voice can help change things for the better. So thank you so much for being on this podcast today. Of course. Thank you very much for having me, Pat. I appreciate it. We hope you liked today's show, and we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast, where each podcast discusses the critical issues affecting multi-generational family businesses around the country. You will find the podcast wherever you download your podcast. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this week's Family Enterprise USA podcast. This is the only series devoted exclusively to the critical issues facing America's family businesses, the families that own them, and the clients of family offices. We hope you liked this episode. Please make sure to subscribe and tell others about our podcast. Having your voice heard in Washington, D.C. and throughout the country can make a difference. This podcast is sponsored by Silker Henderson Properties, the leading medical office provider in Silicon Valley. We look forward to having you listen in next time.